Hi, this is Chris Baldwin, a.k.a. Fight Goddess with Skull Combat Sports Equipment, and you are listening to Eddie Goldman with No Holds Barred. everyone around the world. Once again, this is Eddie Goldman on No Holds Barred. The Tokyo Super Spreader Olympics ended Sunday, August 8th. The Olympic movement and the combat sports are awash in controversies and the much-anticipated trilogy fight between Joshua Franco and Andrew Maloney takes place this Saturday, August 14th. To discuss all this and more, we once again spoke with our colleague Chris Baldwin on the War Room on Angry Afro Radio. She's posted the video of this discussion on the Angry Afro Radio YouTube page, and on this edition of No Holds Barred, we have the complete audio. We also have comments from Andrew Maloney from a recent Zoom call where he explained how he has improved since his previous fights with Franco. But, before we get to that, a word from the sponsors of No Holds Barred. No Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHart.com, the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her, or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com, that's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot com. And Skulls Fight Shop, home of the Skulls Double End Bag, the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skull's double-end bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, distance, and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skull's Fight Shop. Advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Skull's, that's S-K-U-L-L-Z, fightshop.com. Com. And Adolfina Studios, original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to Etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y dot com, slash shop, slash Adolfina Studios, that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. Also, please subscribe to the No Holds Barred page on Patreon. For much more no-holds-barred content, that's at patreon.com slash Eddie Goldman. Now, you can also support our independent no-holds-barred journalism by purchasing items such as t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, mugs, pillows, masks, and even miniskirts at the new 
No Holds Barred with Eddie Goldman shop on Red Bubble. It has also been recommended to me that people choose sizes on the large side, as some items may run small. You can browse all the items for sale and then place an order at redbubble.com slash people slash Eddie Goldman. Hello everyone around the world. Welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, No Holds Barred. Welcome back to the Angry Afro Radio Show right here on YouTube. I am your host, Chris Baldwin, a.k.a. DJ Tribal. And we are in the war room today with my brother, Eddie Goldman, the conscience of combat sports. And we will be discussing, one, the end to the super spreader COVID games. And two, the Jacob, what's this guy's name? Maloney and Franco fight. Andrew Maloney. Andrew Maloney and Joshua Franco fight. So we're going to talk about that today, guys. Thanks for tuning in. As you know, please hit the like button, hit the subscribe button and set the alert if you guys want to know anytime we drop a video here. So we're going to get right to it, Eddie. Welcome back to the show, brother. Let's talk about the end to the COVID games. How are you feeling about that? The gold, we did win all the gold, though, almost all the gold. (laughs) Well, thank you, my sister, Chris. Good to be here again. The problem is, you know, sports is supposed to be fun and entertaining. That's why we watch them and we play in them. But the Olympics is just such uh, such a negative vibe around it that it's hard to see any of this as fun, even when there were some good things or interesting things on their own taken out of context that happened. But the first thing, as you mentioned, the article I just put up on uh, my Patreon page, about this being the super spreader Olympics. The numbers continue to go up of COVID-19 patients in Tokyo, even though the games ended on Sunday, when you get the the results of all of that, they had on Tuesday, August the 10th, a record number of patients with severe symptoms in Tokyo. And 70% of that 176 patients were people in their 50s or younger, meaning younger people. And this is where the Olympics comes in, because in terms of the the vaccination rate is still pretty low in Japan, uh, under 40%. And younger people not getting vaccinated, but because the Olympics are there, while they didn't have fans in the stands, Many people went out to the bars and restaurants and partied and celebrated and all of that. And guess what? That led directly to the spreading of the virus. So the Tokyo seven-day average was almost 4,000 a day, up almost 20% just from a week earlier. And it's gotten so bad that the Japanese government changed its policy on COVID-19 patient treatment. They will now only allow people with severe symptoms to be hospitalized in order to prevent a hospital bed shortage. And the severe symptoms basically mean you have to be intubated or put on a respirator or ventilator or something like that. That's the effect of having these Tokyo Corona games go on so that the IOC and NBC and all these people can make their money at the expense of the people of Japan and and really the people of the world is thousands of people and now have been leaving Japan going back and bringing whatever virus they caught there 
to their own countries. And many of them, we know, have virtually no vaccinations or very, very low vaccination rates in places like Africa and, and other parts of the world. Meanwhile, a story broke today that there appears to be an image of somebody who looks very much like Thomas Bach, the, the boss man of the IOC, just strolling around the Ginza district in Tokyo, violating the COVID restrictions like, like nothing's happening. And if you've ever been to Tokyo, it's a wonderful city to walk around when you don't have a pandemic. I've been there a number of times. I've walked around different areas. It, it's, it's an absolutely incredible place to do it. But you have a goddamn pandemic going on. So what are you just walking around like nothing happened just because you're, you're wearing a mask? And now what we have coming up in a couple of weeks, the Paralympics, they're still going to go on in Tokyo as the cases soar and soar and soar. And of course, for the Olympics, it's only going to get worse in February when we go from the Corona Games to the Genocide Games when the Winter Olympics are in Beijing. So it's an absolute disgrace. The reputation and brand of the Olympics really are at a, a low point, the lowest they've been for many, many decades. And I think people around the world saw this on full display, how the IOC is the enemy of their health, the enemy of the athletes, and we have to move on for new alternatives. And if anybody uh, wants to, if, you, if you've thought about why did they host these games, right? Why do you think they continued to host these games, even though they knew there was going to be an outbreak of uh, COVID when folks got together from all over the world? There's only one reason. Money, 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 money. money. Right. Cream, rules, everything around me. Money. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Yeah, they, they get about approximately 70-something, maybe three-quarters of their revenue from broadcast rights, most of which comes from NBC. Even though the ratings were down by about half from, from Rio, NBC still had to pay up, even though they're taking a bath on what ad revenue they're going to get from this thing. And they get another, I think it's 18 or 19, you could look up the exact number, from their sponsors, uh, Visa, Coca-Cola, uh, McDonald's, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, it's about $7 billion, right. I think they said. About so if they have zero, they ha if they count zero fans in the stands, they get over 90% of their revenues. So that's why that's why they did it. And it's absolutely disgusting. And now you got after Beijing, they're going to take their, their traveling ripoff roadshow to uh, Paris in 2024 and rip off that place. Then in uh, 26, uh, Milano Cortina for the Winter Games in Italy, 28, your city, Los Angeles. They're going to rob and pillage Los Angeles after that. And in 32, for the next summer games after that, Brisbane, Australia. And no, they didn't even allow bidding for this. Not that many places really want to host this monstrosity anymore. So that's why people have to develop alternatives. And I think if you look at some of the, some of the stories that came out 
of the Tokyo Olympics. And I didn't watch any of this live. I had a lot of other stuff to do. But I was following prominent stories that came out just show how bad this was, even just from the standpoint of, of world sports. And let's talk about boxing. Not boxing in the ring, but boxing at modern pentathlon, where one of the coaches from Germany, Kim Reisner, saw that there was a horse in the horse riding event that didn't want to uh, refuse to go out and do anything. So she told the, the rider, uh, hit the horse with the whip, hit the horse with the whip. The horse still didn't move. The horse refused. So she walked over and punched the horse. I saw that video. Right. Complete animal cruelty in this. And what the hell, this modern pentathlon, I believe, is supposed to be the skills that a 19th century uh, infantry or cavalry officer would need. What the hell are they doing with this in the 21st century where we have nuclear weapons and cyber warfare and right. all this kind of stuff? Plus, as, as I recall, and I, I might be wrong, but I could look this up. The original pentathlon in the ancient Greek Olympics included wrestling, but they dropped it and added all this other stuff. In. So this is this is a federation that is in deep trouble with the IOC because of the bad publicity, rightfully, that they got. And the other thing that the IOC did, making it more of a dictatorship, it looks more like a, a Soviet system where all the real decisions are decided by the uh, Politburo of the Central Committee and the leader of the Communist Party. They call it something different. But now, for a sport to be suspended or removed from the Olympic program. It can be done by the executive committee, not the entire membership of the IOC. And on a Sunday meeting, they change the rules. And of course, the executive committee rubber stamps what the president says, which is Thomas Bach. And if you look at some of the decisions, it's like a cult of the personality that you, you'd see in the Soviet Union, the old Soviet Union or China to the leaders there in terms of everybody saying how wonderful Bach is. And what the likely first uh, victim of this, which by the way, does deserve to be kicked off the Olympic program is the International Weightlifting Federation, which is the, the doping is incredibly rampant. They've refused even to put in any kind of real reforms to the, the governance to the structure. They had some moves at some point and they reversed them. So now it looks like they're going to be dumped from the Olympic program because of, of this corrupt federation and weightlifting, a great sport. It wasn't something that I did, but I knew people involved in it. And now this is going to be kicked out of the Olympics, or at least the Federation can be kicked out of the Olympics because the corruption is too bad, even for the IOC. That's, that's where we're at. And there was supposedly a, a good story. You might have also seen uh, the excitement from Gable Stevenson, the American heavyweight, who won his gold medal match against the uh, three-time world champion Gino Petrosvili of Georgia in the last few seconds. Wow. He was down He was down 8-5. Both of these guys were cleaning up 
to get to the gold medal finals. But Stevenson went down 8-5, and in the last few seconds got two takedowns, and he won the match 9-8. But if you look more closely at it, it shows you the problems why Olympic wrestling under the UWW is never going to amount to shit. First of all, Stevenson got his first point when Petrusvili was placed on a shot clock. You know, they, they take this thing from basketball, which makes sense for basketball, and the referee arbitrarily decides pretty much who has to score within 30 seconds. And if they don't, they give the point to the other wrestler. And this is complete subjectivity and makes yeah. absolutely no sense. And the vast majority of the times they put somebody on the shot clock, they lose, they lose the point. So it's pretty much just like handing out points, which is something that's gone on in, in wrestling, the, the corrupt officiating over the years. So then he got, then Stevenson got a takedown, a, a real move, and he went up 3 nothing. And then there was a step out, and they borrowed this from Sumo, where it makes sense because they're in a small dojo, but to have somebody just step out of bounds and give them a point, it, it's not wrestling. So it was a, he anyway. He was up four nothing, and so Petrusvili got a uh, counter crit, counter crotch lift for two points, and then he was reversed by Stevenson. It was five two, and then there were two gut wrenches for Petrusvili. These are moves in American college wrestling you get no points for, but since it's back exposure, you keep doing it, you get points and and. It's something that's not fun to watch. But it put Petrusvili up 8-5, and that's when Stevenson got the first takedown, the legit one, to make it 8-7. Make it and probably right before the buzzer with less than a second left, he got another go-behind takedown to win 9-8. to here's the, here's the problem with all of this. Who's going to benefit from this? From all the discussion, I saw a lot of people commenting on this. I saw people putting up short videos of this incredible finish by Stevenson. Stevenson has one more year of eligibility left at the University of Minnesota, where he's been a champion last year, was the co-winner of the Dan Hodge Trophy for the best college wrestler, along with Spencer Lee of Iowa. He could go back to to finish out his eligibility there and they can even make some money given the new rules on the name image and likeness revenue but he's also talked a lot about going to the wwe the fake wrestling and according to news reports he's known a wwe manager paul Heyman since Stevenson was in junior high if you you know paul Heyman, he's just a sleazy character and he's also, they list as one of his mentors, Brock Lesnar. Oh, my guy, Lord. Right. The big dope-taking guy who went in and out of I fake wrestling and, and real MMA. So it's unclear what he's going to do. Uh, but it, the benefit of this, one way or another, even if Stevenson comes back to Minnesota for his last year of eligibility, it's not going to be wrestling and certainly not going to be international wrestling. He could follow the route of people like Kurt Angle and 
just get involved with the fake wrestling. And Kurt Angle won a gold medal in 96 in Atlanta. I was at those games. That was a, a match people talked about. They still talk about that match because the, at the rules of that time, it ended up tied and it was a judge's decision giving it to Kurt Angle against the Iranian wrestler uh, Abbas Jadidi. A lot of people felt Jadidi should have won. I remember asking Kurt Angle after that match, uh, do you think you won? He said, yes, I I, get, I I hit more shots than Jadidi, but a lot of people felt that Jadidi did more in the match to win. It was a cockamamie rule. That caused a big buzz. Afterwards, no nobody would give Kurt Angle the time of day. So, but then he went to the WWF or WWE, whatever it was called at the time, and then he got real famous from it. And then the same thing is, looks like it could happen with Steveson. And the other big match that there was a lot of discussion about was uh, wrestler. Many people feel the uh, the greatest pound for pound wrestler today, Abdul Rashid Sadalayev of Russia, officially the Russian Olympic Committee, but you know he represents Russia, defeating Kyle Snyder in uh, another match that they've wrestled a couple of times before, and this is at 97 kilos. Both were Olympic gold medalists. But in Rio, but uh, uh, Sadalayev was at a lower weight class. He moves up and he wins six to three. He also had along the way a couple of years ago a pin against Snyder. So really he was the, the favorite, even though Snyder was the, the reigning world champion. But look at these, look at the scoring on this. Sadalayev got his first point when Snyder was put on the shot clock. Bingo, one nothing for him. He got a second point, a step out. So in the first period, it's 2 nothing. Sadalaya, no takedowns, no real wrestling. Okay, then Sadalaya got counter tilts on Snyder's shots. People will watch this, meaning he just, he just tilts the back over to a certain degree, and he gets two points each for those. Again, it's, it's similar. It's not the same move as a gut wrench, but it's just, it's something you're looking at and scratching ahead. These are each worth two points each. So it's six, nothing. Snyder got a takedown. The only one of the match, by the way. And then he got Sadalayev to step out and it was six, three. And that was the scoring. That is something that's not going to really get people to fall in love with wrestling, even though these are two great wrestlers. And, in terms of not benefiting, pro boxing will not benefit as much from the boxing at the Olympics because the the super heavyweight was won by the Uzbek fighter uh, Jalalov, who's already 8-0 as a pro. So he gets a little more publicity, but even with without getting the gold medal, he's still, you know, he's already beginning his, his pro career. The Cubans, as usual, did great in Olympic boxing, but the problem is they're not going to allow their fighters to turn professional unless they take the dangerous path of defecting to the West, and which is real hypocrisy from the Cuban government because they have let their fighters fight professionally in the now defunct World Series of Boxing, 
which was set up by the, the corrupt IEBA, which is also suspended by the IOC because the corruption is too blatant. So they could go there, but all these fighters like Andy Cruz and a lot of others that people would like to see, you're not going to see them unless they defect from the country. You're not going to see them in professional boxing, which is utterly absurd. So that, that's my commentary on, on the boxing. And I'll just move on to another story that people saw from karate, which is making its Olympic debut in Tokyo. And you had a 75 kilogram match that took place between Sajid Ganzada of Iran and Tariq Hamedi of Saudi Arabia. And the Iranian fighter won the gold medal but was knocked out by Hamedi because Hamedi was disqualified even though he threw what looked like a legal kick because he did not pull the kick. It was excessive force. And people are saying that this, these rules are utterly absurd. He hit the guy too hard and you disqualified. Oh, exactly. I mean, the guy, he kicked him. It looked like a simple kick. It was a head guy, kick and the guy was yeah. leaning in too. The right. other guy was, but, but you know, you're supposed to pull the punches and pull the kicks. So you might as well get uh, Vince McMahon running right. this. Now, exactly. this is nothing, this is nothing new because I covered this several years ago in 2018 and no holds barred. I had on El Haji guy indoor who is a karateka. He runs karate schools in Long Island and in Harlem. And he also talked back then of being disqualified for hitting his opponents too hard. He's originally from Senegal. His nickname is black magic. And so only black people get disqualified for uh, hitting too hard in this sport. I, I don't know if it's all, who got disqualified I, in this uh, Olympic uh, event was, was Saudi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, I don't he, know. Look, he, he might have been Saudi, but he was a black man. Right. So, so I don't, I don't know who else gets. I don't really follow it that closely. What uh, was recommended? The door was competing at the time with Karate Combat, uh, which is a professional karate league. And they try to take advantage of this by offering both guys contracts to fight in Karate Combat, which is seen on CBS Sports Network in the U.S. And their fights are often on YouTube. And you could look up there. They're in many different uh, countries. So they're trying to grandstand this. And apparently they already have the Iranian fighter, uh, Gonzada, under contract. So they offered a, what they called a six-figure contract to Hamedi, and this is from their head, uh, Kovach, who said he's a former amateur karate fighter himself. So I haven't watched Karate Combat in a while. So I decided, okay, let me see what they're, they're up to. A lot of their shows are on YouTube. So I looked at the, their latest show. They have another one coming up on August 12th, but I looked at the one from last week. And they have a very contrived atmosphere. They don't say where they're coming from, but they sort of use CGI to make it look like some, some old scene. So they showed the Hollywood Hills of the 1980s. Now, I mean, I remember going to the LA area in the 70s and 80s, and I never saw it as undiverse as the crowd that 
a karate combat <laughs> put there. Most of the crowd that they put uh, ringside seemed to be young white women. So right. it showed they want to get to the UFC uh, right, type the UFC of uh, demographic. demographic. Right. right, that same thing. They compete in a uh, pit that has slanted walls, which actually looks a little bit like something Frank Shamrock proposed many years ago. You can hit hard. You can knock people out. You are allowed, if somebody gets knocked down, you can punch on the ground for five seconds, and they stop it. There's no wrestling, no submissions, but you can do throws. But the show, it looked more like a kiddie show because they're the announcers, Boss Rutan's one of the announcers. There's a lot of oohs and ahs. And, you know, the, yeah. the, the main event had a little, bit of, little better technique. It was not a vulgar show like the UFC. It looked like they did have a, a paid crowd there that was almost always clapping. But honestly, the way I saw it, this contrived atmosphere, it looked like a pretty stupid show. And when, it didn't go anywhere. When, when these fighters try to box, it's really pathetic. They make every mistake. Their hands down. They go straight back. And then there's the question of the governance. This is a self-governing organization. Who picks the judges? Who does the medicals? What are the doping protocols? Who does the matchmaking? And so I'm not saying I never watch it or anything like that, but I do prefer boxing. Right. But boxing, of course, never fails to disappoint. <laughs> and if you saw the fight this past Saturday, this horrendous show that the PBC on Fox show, you had the fight with uh, Gabriel Maestre and Michael Fox. And this was for a WBA interim belt. And everybody watching the fight thought Fox won about 10 out of 12 rounds. Plus, he scored a knockdown in the fight. <clears throat> so who gets the decision? Maestre by all three judges. And there was already a gloves controversy before the fight started. The referee had to have Maestre redo the judges while he was in the ring. It was described by... Uh, trainer and commentator Joe Goosen that the illegal tape job is called skinning the gloves. What you do is you pull the laces tight and high on the wrist. So you bring the top of the gloves closer to the knuckles inside and it's wow. illegal. Mm -hmm. So the referee caught that and had them retape it after they're in the ring with gloves that were supposedly approved by the, the Mickey Mouse Minnesota commission. So you had all this corruption from the commission and the judges and promoter Lou DiBella called for a federal investigation that Keith Ellison, the attorney general of Minnesota, should investigate it. But who knows what's going to happen? And then in the main event, you had Imantis Stanionis, 13-0 with nine knockouts in a showcase fight against 40-year-old Luis Colazzo. That ended before the fourth round with an accidental head clash. It really was a head clash. So it was no decision. It was an abomination of a show. And the PBC used to be about bringing boxing back to free TV. And it's now showing garbage on free broadcast television in order to hawk their pay-per-view mismatches. And 
Fox is a co-conspirator, an accessory to the, the crime by airing all of this stuff. And who knows how long PBC will last on Fox. So we're supposed to get some good fights this coming Saturday, the 14th of August. The trilogy fight involving Joshua Franco and Andrew Maloney, if you followed that, they had a wonderful fight in June of last year where Maloney was the favorite and he was winning, but he got knocked down in the 11th round and Franco got the upset, scored a well-earned unanimous decision, and they set up a rematch. And there was more boxing chaos in November because it looked like Maloney was really going to go out and end the fight quickly. He had a good left jab. He was hurting Franco. But then there was swelling under Franco's right eye, and the referee, Russell Mora, who a lot of people know screws many things up, said the punch was caused by a headbutt. And then the, the Nevada Clown Commission had a look at the video review for almost half an hour, and even though it looked like a punch, caused the swelling, which would have meant a TKO victory for Maloney, and he would have recaptured his belt. They said it was from a headbutt. So it was under two rounds, no decision. So finally, they're doing the third fight, not in Nevada, but they're going to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And you're going to see on ESPN and ESPN Plus, the main event this Saturday, Joshua Franco and Andrew Maloney to settle this thing in the ring. And you're also going to have on the uh, the first the first fight, a fighter named Nico Ali Walsh, who's the grandson of Muhammad Ali, will be making his his pro debut. I'm assuming wow. they, they I'm assuming they're going to give him a tomato can for that. But we did get a we chance to get to get a couple of questions, to get a few comments from Andrew Andrew Maloney, because he did legit lose that first fight. It was a great fight. It was one of the best fights of 2020, and, that, that, and especially that top rank had on, on ESPN. And how he was going to, what he's learned, how he's going to change. So if you can cue up the question that I had on uh, this week's conference call, a Zoom call with uh, Andrew Maloney, the question that I got in to ask him. All right, here we go, Eddie. Can you tell us about what you might want to do in this upcoming fight that you were unable to do in previous fights? What, what you have learned as your career has gone on and improved in terms of technique? Um, I believe overall this, these, this experience of this trilogy and, and the two fights we've had so far has, has taught me a lot. Um, and I think I've made some huge improvements, mainly because I've gone home with disappointment both times, and that's forced me to train so hard every day in the gym to improve as a fighter and to make sure that I get my world title back. So having those results in my mind and, and you know, really motivating me to get the most as I can out of every training session, that's what's helped me improve. And... Uh, I believe what I showed in that second fight and the improvements I made between the first and the second, um, I've improved even more since then. But the way that fight was going, 
I think I'm just going to take, you know, this fight is just going to be a continuation of that. And I'm going to go out there and dominate this fight for as long as it lasts. And that was Andrew Maloney. And he did, in the short time we, we saw that second fight, it really did look like he improved. He was much more aggressive. He wasn't taking anything for granted. And he wanted to get Franco out of there early. So I think we can expect him, everything being equal, if there are no injuries or anything like that, to see Maloney come out of the gate really fast, really sharp, really hard. But, you know, it's boxing, anything can happen. And his brother, Jason Maloney, is coming off a loss to the great Nayu. In a way, he's going to be on that card, but that's only going to be streamed on ESPN Plus. So that should be really uh, that should be really something. And over on Showtime, you have uh, some good fights going on. You know, you have crap for weeks, and now you have good fights going on all at the same time. Uh, Guillermo Rigondeaux, how much does he have left against Casemiro? I don't and, know why I thought Rigondeaux retired again. Because but... nobody wants to fight him. <laughs> you can't look good against Rigondeaux uh, unless your three weight class is higher, like right. when he fought Lomachenko, because he's just such a great fighter. And now he's back at 118. Wow. He's not 130, whatever. He, he, he doesn't even worry about the belts at 122. This is where he really belongs. So this is going to be interesting because it's obviously the toughest test for Casemiro. How much does Rigondeaux have left? But of course, both these shows are on at the same time and hopefully they'll stagger it so we'll be able to see both uh, main events live instead of right. them being on right. at the same time. But it's boxing, so who knows? You never know. Well, yeah. And we, we just got the news today, this Tuesday, that uh, Errol Spence is right. out of his uh, fight, his August 21st fight with Manny Pacquiao. He got a torn retina that was found in a pre-fight medical exam by the Nevada Commission, and he's going to have surgery. And that'll take a while to get him back. That's for a boxer. Getting a torn retina is very, very serious. And uh, we wish him well, but he's been through an awful lot with the car crash and a torn retina. But now we're going to have Ugas fading Pacquiao. So PBC's going ahead with their pay-per-view anyway, hoping that Pacquiao will be the the big draw. And, you know, I don't, I don't really see that being a big draw. But Ugas is a, is a tricky fighter. And Pacquiao is also long past his prime. So it may not be a, a gimme fight. Right. So, so that's what we got going on in in boxing, and I'm looking forward to Benavidez fighting later, and then who knows if we're going to really see the heavyweights fighting when they say they're going to fight. Exactly. We're still waiting on that fight. Well, that's all we have for you guys today. Thank you, Eddie, for joining me in the War Room. Why don't you give a shout-out to the people where they can find you on Twitter and Instagram and all your social media platforms. Yeah, the best place is Twitter, at NHB News, uh, where I comment on things a lot. If you've been following me on some of these other social media sites, go over to Twitter because I'm really not going to post much, if ever, there. Again, I have my website, eddiegoldman.com, and my Patreon page where you can help support independent journalism. Subscribe to that, where you could read the latest article 
on which I hope will be the last one for a while on the Tokyo Super Spreader Games at eddiegoldman.com uh, at patreon.com slash eddiegoldman and subscribe, support independent journalism because right. I'm saying things, the truth that these sites that are all tied into the uh, Olympic octopus do not want you to know. That's right. It's all It's all documented there. Not, no speculation. That's right. Tune in right here if you want real news and the truth from the man himself, Eddie Goldman. This is your host, DJ Tribal, a.k.a. Chris Baldwin on the end here. (laughs) And we're going to see you guys next time. Peace. No Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHart.com, the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com. That's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot com. And Skulls Fight Shop. Home of the Skulls Double End Bag, the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skulls Double End Bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, distance, and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skulls Fight Shop, advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Skulls, that's S-K-U-L-L-Z, fightshop.com. And Adolfina Studios, original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to Etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y.com, slash shop, slash Adolfina Studios, that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. Also, please subscribe to the No Holds Barred page on Patreon for much more No Holds Barred content that's at patreon.com slash Eddie Goldman. Now, you can also support our independent No Holds Barred journalism by purchasing items such as t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, mugs, pillows, masks, and even miniskirts at the new No Holds Barred with Eddie Goldman shop on Red Bubble. It has also been recommended to me that people choose sizes on the large side, as some items may run small. You can browse all the items for sale and then place an order at redbubble.com slash people slash Eddie Goldman. Hello everyone around the world. Welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, No Holds Barred. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. Thanks for listening. If you want to follow my site, my blog, the easiest way is go to eddiegoldman.com. For No Holds Barred, this has been Eddie Goldman.